big sky, big potential. In association with Mills and Reeve, this is Eastern Promise. Achieving more together. Welcome to the podcast that explores the full potential of the East of England. Summer may be over, but our region is hotting up. And here to share the best of the East of England is the Eastern Promise podcast. And where better to start than Suffolk? Southwold to be exact, which must mean the purveyor of the town's finest export, Adnams, and a very special guest, Chief Executive Andy Wood, OBE. I'll be asking Andy how the firm stays staunchly true to its values in these troubled times. We'll also be in Ipswich to join the 550th anniversary celebrations of the Tudor Titan Thomas Wolsey. And finally, do you like to run for fitness or, I can't believe I'm saying this, for fun? But where? Let's wave the wand of crowd sorcery. Southwold, on the Suffolk coast, is shorthand for a certain well-heeled gentility. It's a traditional seaside town that defends its charms with vigour. It's also home to Adnams, a family brewing and hospitality business that has a deep symbiotic relationship with Southwold. It has pubs and hotels in the town and across the region, both owned and tenanted. And alongside making incredibly popular beers, wines and spirits, Adnams is an independent brand that's seen as a bellwether for the UK's brewing and hospitality industries. So, with a sense that my visit was long overdue, I headed to Southwold to see the famous Soul Bay Brewery and meet with Chief Executive Andy Wood OBE. Anyone who's watching the video of this will know perfectly well by now where we are yeah um, right. somebody put it very nicely a minute ago to me that there is no Adams without Southwold and there's no Southwold without Adams. Andy Wood OBE DL Chief Executive of Adams, welcome to Eastern Promise thank you so much for being here with us today well it's nice to be here Mike it's been a long time but we're talking at last we are indeed I have here a very lovely copy of the Adams Annual Report and Accounts 2022 yeah. um now, right through this is talk of Adnams' values, and I just wanted to invite you to sort of articulate those for the viewers and the listeners. Yeah, what are I, the Adnams' values? Absolutely. Well, the values are, um, you know, they are codified, sort of innov innovative in, uh, and evolving. We like to think of ourselves as an innovative company that's continually evolving. Um, distinctive quality, so we are very serious about the quality of products that uh, that we produce, and then sustainable success, um, and that's not only from an environmental sustainability perspective, but um, from you know having a team of people who see this as a business that it's worth working for and are are loyal to the team. 
to our regard for the built environment, for our regard to the social environment. You know, we, we make alcohol for a living. Um, I would argue that, uh, you know, it helps conviviality, it helps a party go with a swing. Um, but also, if it's misused, it can do, you know, personal and um, social harms. Mm. So we're very conscious of that as well. So I would like to think of ourselves as a responsible business in, in, in that regard. But it's really a sort of sense... Um, this has largely been a family-owned business since 1872. We do have a public listing, but there are family members still working mm-hmm. the business, and Jonathan Adams is is my chairman. And, you know, it's one big family. Um, we don't always get on, like all families. <laughs> like all families but yeah. uh, but uh, by and large, we do. But we have this sort of framework of values that runs deep in, in the business. I think, I mean, that's, that's something we will come on to, particularly on the, the ESG side. Yeah. Um, but one of the other things that comes uh, out of the report that struck me uh, from your particular contribution to the, the strategic part of it was the investments in technology and being a data-led business. You opened a store in Bishop Stortford mm. because mm. the data mm. said that you, that mm. is a place that you should have mm. customers there you want to mm. serve. And that seems both... Strange for a brewery and actually obvious for a business. How, is, how do you see that progressing, those investments in technology and the, the being driven by data? Well, you're right. It, it, it could be seen as you know, counterintuitive to a brewery that makes beer and sells it to pubs. But um, more and more, uh, and we saw this through the pandemic, more and more people choose to buy our products online. Um, any business now needs to uh, deliver a good service to its customers um, you know, from ordering a uh, product to booking a meal in one of our pubs to a stay in our hotels. This is all data that's coming into the organisation. Um, we have a big machine that uh, crunches that data and tells us what people like. And uh, we understand our customer base really well. Mm. Uh, and we can segment that customer base and we can deliver up offers to those customers based on their preferences we want to do that in a way that uh, comes across as we're still a business that has a soul Um, you know we don't want to be sort of freaky around that we want to you know communicate in a way that Adnams communicates but every business today has got to you know with complex supply chains has got to use data intelligently unfortunately we renewed our um Uh, enterprise resource planning system ERP system back in 2018-2019 and we have a whole series of ways that we interact with the customer around that core system and that's enabled us to make some steps forward in this in this space. So I mean how far afield could you would you see the data driving you I mean would you for example say and I you may tell me this is a already happened or be too fanciful to be likely but if the data said there was, I don't know, market for an Adnum store in, in the centre of Berlin, let's say, or, or Prague, or, or, or I don't know where, at the airport in Dubai, if, the, if you're, things are allowed like that, would, would, would you say that's what the data says? Or well, would you be a, take a sort of more... I, I think we always have to blend the data with what the business can cope with at any one time and, and what the business feels is manageable. Um, we do know that there are hotspots of Adnams customers in Nottingham, 
we know that there's uh, a band of Adnams customers in South Manchester. Um, these are things that the data is telling us, but, uh, but at this stage and at this stage of our development as we're recovering the business from the pandemic, it would be a bit of a risk to make that leap into Nottingham or yeah. into South Manchester. But at some point, you know, we are radiating out further from Southwold. We have to remember that Adnam sells its product in 24 countries right. uh, around the world as well. So, you know, there are already markets for Adnam's, uh, Adnam's yeah. beer globally. So uh, I was talking to our export manager just now and uh, he was updating me on what's going on in Italy, what's going on in Australia, what's going on in France, one of our biggest markets just across yeah. the channel. Um, so there's demand out there. So yeah. the world, in that respect, is our oyster. But uh, you know, reaching those markets, given what's going on in the home market, is yeah. is, is not without its risks. Yeah. There's obviously a lot of pressures, uh, and the, the report does go into this, and I recommend uh, a read uh, about the pressures on energy, on grain, on CO two, which always strikes me slightly ironic. On mm. the one hand, we can't get rid of We've the got, stuff. We can't get rid of the stuff. We're desperate for it. Um, <laughs> we need it to be taken out of the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah we'll find a way. Uh, um, and, 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 you know, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and even sort of the, the places from which you source wine um, and the amount of work you're putting into sourcing alternatives. And I was just personally really curious. And I love this because I can always follow my curiosity and there's no one here to stop me. Um, <laughs> Do you have like, uh, is it an ongoing thing to sort of put those contingencies in place for alternatives because you never quite know what's going to happen? Or is that kind of thing, you, you're ready to react when, when the need arises, but you don't actually have a bank of, it, it's too costly or too time intensive or whatever to have that bank of alternatives ready? Well, um, you know, there's a sort of long history around this. I go back as quite a few years in the company and I can remember the foot and mouth crisis in 2000. I can remember previous CO2 crises. I can remember being grain being in short supply, but it used to be one of those events every three or four years. Um, in the last three years, we've kind of had all these events taking place all year. Um, so, uh, you know, we mustn't become blasé about our ability to, to deal with them. Um, but I think we have a more resilient business and that's a more resilient business in, in two ways. I think uh, we are um, putting in place these contingencies that you talked of and looking at alternatives of, for supply and looking to uh, onshore some of our supply and that, that, all of those good things. But also our staff are more resilient about dealing with these things. You know, um, every one of those events would have got us running round uh, back in the annals of time. Now we just get on with dealing with it. Yeah. So the organisation has learned a lot, learned yeah. a hell of a lot during the last three years. It's, um, you know, the, the strengthening that comes through, through adversity. And, and a lot of people get, and I, I was like this when I was working in politics, when things went, what could loosely be called awry or wrong or, or just sideways yeah. uh, in an unexpected way, that's, that's when you're kind of like, okay, this is, this is somewhere I wouldn't want to be, but I'm actually really yeah. sort of excited to get into the guts of dealing with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when you go about making these changes to um, whichever side of the business that you, you're kind of 
circumstances in the wider world, and we all know about Ukraine, yeah. uh, w- w- when they force your hand into sourcing these alternatives in such a manner as, forgive me, this is going to sound slightly hypothetical, but the customer is likely to notice. Mm. Um, how do you, what's the process, or do you have a process of getting the, bringing the customer on board to those changes and getting them to say, yeah, do you know what, it's the same Adam's quality, and I actually quite like it, or... Uh, you know, I understand the reasons, and I'm going to stick with stick with that. Yes, yeah. yeah. I mean, we um, we talk to our customers quite a lot. Um, that's uh, in many respects that's a one way traffic because we're sending out emails, that type of thing. Um, but we have a band of customers who are really interested in Adnams and care about Adnams. Some of them are very small shareholders, but there's a much wider group of people. Um, organizations such as the campaign for real ale and things such as that so we have an ongoing dialogue with our customer base um, and we try and be as transparent as we can around this this is one of the things that i think is really important in business is to uh, be as transparent as you can be yeah. there are some things that you can't talk about but um, because you're just not allowed to talk about your financial results ahead of your financial results yes, coming out exactly. and this type of thing. Um, but but secrets in business are a bit of an Achilles heel. Mm. And we believe in being as transparent around what we're doing as, as possible. And that's what we do. Yeah. And that's what we do. And, you know, this is part of that value of sustainable success. You've got to treat people as adults and you've got to be transparent with what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, that communication is key. In, in bringing yeah. people with you because they don't feel like sort of blindsided by change, no, no. which nobody likes. No, um, no. I mean, we don't always get it right. I mean, you know, I, I can't sit here um, and say that we, we get everything right all of the time, but the intention yeah. is to be as transparent as possible and to, to tell people what's going on in the business as soon as we can. Sustainability uh, that you mentioned earlier, whether that be environmental or social, yeah. has been an absolutely fundamental part, as you alluded of Adnams brand identity for a quarter of a century now. Mm. Um, you've won three Queen's Awards for mm. sustainability. Hopefully a King's Award for mm. sustainability won't yeah. be far away. Um, and I was just drawn to, to, to what the, the, again, back to the report, what the report said about waste and how, you, how you're dealing with that. And I'll come on to water in a minute, but waste. <laughs> how, how, is, how is, I suppose, <laughs> forgive a basic question, what sort of waste do you produce? And what are your plans and thinking around it? Well, I mean, if it? you think of our um, uh, manufacturing process, um, we have spent grains and hops, and um, we put those back into the animal food supply chain. There's a nutritional value in it. Yeah. I mean, we were, we were doing this, you know, you talk about 25 years. We were probably doing this 40 or 50 years ago. We were... Um, feed, we, we, we at one stage owned a pig farm right? and we were feeding uh, you know spent grain to pigs and, and uh, there was a slogan I, I think we've still got some t-shirts in our in our archive you know Adnam's pigs are happy pigs <laughs> <laughs> so there's, there's been this sense throughout the business uh, for many a long year and I think it comes back to where we are based, really. We're, we're perched here on the edge, eastern edge of England. Um, when you get a North Sea surge and that coincides with a uh, spring tide, you know, the place 
down at the harbour gets flooded. The harbour inn gets flooded. Some of the posh beach, beach huts can get washed away. So that's what sort of um, meant that it's part of the fabric of, yeah. uh, 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 of the business. So, you know, it's, it's, as you say, been part of our ethos for 25 years or more and will continue to be so. Just because we're where we're located, among other things, of course we do it because it's the right thing to do. Yeah, absolutely, and, and I think he says that uh, doing things the right way continues to guide us. Is the yeah. opening part of yeah. your strategic report, and uh, you know I think the, 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 the that comes through in the in the brand that you you know you know you are buying a brand. Yes, uh, that I mean reflects reflects your values, reflects the right values. Well, thank um, you for saying that. Well, I, that's yeah. what I think. Yeah, um, yeah. And I know yeah. lots of people who are listening to this will think the same. I know it's become fashionable at the moment yeah. in certain circles to sneer at uh, ESG, yeah. but that's yeah. not anything... Uh, yeah. I think that, that, that's really important. And, and certainly businesses in this re- in this region and across across the country are, uh, I think, leading the way in demonstrating those values and think this is what our customers want to see. So let's let's. Well, yeah, absolutely, and it comes back to that earlier conversation that we were having about knowing your customers and what their preferences are, uh, and we know our customers, and and they care about these things because they've told us that, and the profiles that we have tell us that they that they care about these things, and we extend it beyond just the environmental. Uh, as I've said earlier, you know the social aspects of alcohol. Um, the social aspects of pubs in their communities uh, or in villages now, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker's gone. The pub is yeah. often the, the last yeah. uh, tangible community asset that's standing. Uh, so we have to be very con- conscious of that. Um, and the built environment, you know, when we built the uh, new distribution centre at Raiden, it was deliberately built, built seven metres down. It was deliberately given a grass roof. Those things have uh, environmental uh, perspectives on, on the design, but it was also to disguise it, you know, in an area of outstanding natural mm. beauty, not to put a great big thumping great crinkly tin shed um, there, so it, it, it's about the built environment. If you look at our brewery, you know it's a classic um, Victorian tower brewery, but behind it is a very modern, state-of-the-art brewery. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the the distribution centre is going to be certainly a, a, a case study. I, I will bring up later this month when we record our panel, our roundtable on how the A11 corridor in Norfolk can support the growth of Cambridge mm. Um, mm. and that uh, it doesn't need to mean great big whacking sheds because look at what Adnams has done at yes. Rennes. Yes. And, and, and that is a, that is a fantastic uh, thing. Because he makes, he makes absolute sense. Yeah. He makes absolute sense. He's not necessary um, to, to, to do it any other way. I'm looking at two glasses of water, which reminds me to bring up water. Now, obviously, water is absolutely fundamental to what you do. Mm. There is no Adnams mm. without water. Mm. Um, so... What are the pressures there, and how's Adnams reacting to, to the to the pressures on on water? Because we, we, we're often told this is one of the driest is the driest part of of the UK. Yes, it was. Uh, I think you wouldn't have thought so this year. No, no. <laughs> but, I would, you um, know, Peter Simpson at Anglian Water will often say this is the uh, uh, warmest and driest part of the UK. Uh, and he famously told me once that uh, we had the rainfall equivalent to that of Jerusalem. 
Um, but as I say, that hasn't been that hasn't played no. out this year. Um, but we, you know, you look at climate over the broad sweep of time. Don't Climate's you? not weather. People no, often forget exactly. So um, yeah, we're in a water depleted area. Um, at the moment, we've got permissions to, you know, draw water, and uh, but we have put in uh, facilities. So when you go to a brewing town, you'll often get that wonderful uh, smell of hops, and yeah. you'll see steam coming out of chimneys. Um, we can do that here, and, and, and we sometimes uh, vent some energy to the atmosphere. But that is energy being um, vented to the atmosphere in the form of steam. What we do is we capture that steam in a heat retention tank and we use that for boiling the next boil that comes through. Really? The next brew that comes through. Yeah, so we've got a big heat retention tank, very hot, obviously. Yeah. Um, and that means we're recycling water as much as possible. We're still using a lot of water and yeah, we're still, you, you know, because that. we can't get away from that fact. But we have benchmarked this brewery. I'm not going to go into numbers particularly, but um, the amount of pints of water used to make a pint of beer are much reduced in this brewery mm. versus other breweries of a similar size. So we've done a lot of work in, in, in that space, but we've got more work to do yeah. because it is going to be a stressed uh, part of our supply chain is, is the supply of water. Is that particularly uh, around low and no alcohol beers? Yes. Uh, so our low alcohol uh, beer, we use a process called, uh, and I love saying these words, reverse osmosis. Yes. <laughs> um, or RO in the, uh, in, in the parlance. And, and that is uh, pushing the beer, and, and it's the full 4.5% ghost ship, through a fine filter. Uh, and the alcohol molecules stay on one side and the uh, beer flavour passes through to the other and the, and the what, what goes into bottle is 0.5 um, ghost ship. That does use quite a bit of water going through that. So there is some more investment that we're going to do um, as soon as time allows us to um, reduce the water consumption of that particular part of the process. So, and how does the uh, sustainability agenda in this in these buildings in, in the Adnams uh, uh, Brewery and, and, and uh, uh, additional sort of add-on buildings and distribution centre? How does that flow out into um, both the owned pubs and hotels and also the the, the tenanted properties you you, you let? Well. Um... A lot of the tenanted properties that we let are ancient buildings, grade two listed. Um, when we do um, do refurbishments of those buildings, we build in sustainability features. Um, we encourage the you know use of uh, solar where we can. We ensure that our boilers are the latest. We're, we're trying to do everything we can, but you've also got to maintain the character of these Indeed. buildings because that's what people love about Indeed. an English pub. So there is a bit of a tension there, but there's all sorts of other stuff that we can do around the edges of that. I mean, the vehicles that deliver to the pubs are are running on uh, hydrogenated vegetable oil. I think 50% of our fleet is running on that at the moment. And that trial will now extend probably to, to our whole fleet in the next year or yeah. so. Yeah, I read, I read about that, uh, about the trial. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, you mentioned ancient buildings, and I am bound to bring up, and hopefully this, um, this should go out before it happens, the, the Eastern Promise uh, live event, our first major live event in October, the 12th of October, 2023. It's, it's an event at Jesus College, Cambridge. Right where we will be having three panels. The first panel will be looking at decarbonising heritage. Mm-hmm. The second panel will be looking at reusing redundant heritage and bringing that back online in, in a sustainable way. And the third panel will be looking at, OK, we want to do either the first one or the second one. Where do we find the funding to do that? Mm. Uh, we won't be going into why decarbonising is important because everyone there will already know. Yeah. We'll be just getting right to the guts of how how you go about it and, and looking at think places like Jesus College, perhaps we should bring them here as well yeah. and, and say, look at what, look at what admins have done. Well, I mean, uh, of course you'd be very, very welcome here, but there are a number of case studies on the distribution centre. The wall, it's got a wooden uh, frame, its roof is held up by glued laminated beams, 90 metres end to end. Um, the walls are lime hemp block. This right. was a building material that was used, you know, hundreds of years ago, and it has tremendous thermal capacities. Um, and the the product is called Hemcrete, and we were yeah. pioneers with the company mm. in that. This was probably the first building at scale they did, um, and they were manufacturing uh, blocks on site so that we cut down the construction miles. Um, way back in in two thousand and six, two thousand right. you know two thousand five, wow. two thousand six. So um, the technology's been there. The technology that we used there, um, you know, creating great thermal stability. The the warehouse acting as a thermos flask has been known for hundreds of years. Yeah. So you're on to something, really. <laughs> Absolutely. So I, I look so. forward to that conference. Very good. Yes, absolutely. Well, we shall, uh, I, shall, I shall make sure you get a ticket. Um, you've been, and I, rem- I remember many times waking up in the morning and hearing your voice on the Today programme as, as a kind of a, a spokesman uh, for the sector, mm. um, not during the pandemic, but since with the, the cost of living crisis on the pressures facing the industry. I mean, how's that? What what's that experience been like for you? I mean, has were you sort of sought out by the BBC? Were you you know is it is it because you're a chair of a ind- particular industry body? Um, I think it's something about the Adnams brand and yeah. what it stands for, and um, we've been pioneers in 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 many respects, and we have a sort of unwritten value of telling it how it is. This is back to the uh, transparency piece. Um, so I don't think it's my winning smile or anything. I, <laughs> oh, think, I, it's, uh, I think it's that Adnams is, is, is an interesting company. It's a, it's a mid-sized company working in an interesting sector, a sector that's often a bellwether for how the economy is working. Um, you know, there aren't many great big brewers that are British owned now. Yeah. There are, you know, probably Brewdog. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the others are international global giants. Yeah. So who do they come to speak to? And they come to the east coast of England and speak to Adnams. Quite right, too. I mean, this is some, something that's been struck me as I've been sitting here and talking to yourself is... I think the answer to this is yes, and I think that's 
that's absolutely fine. But I'm interested to see what your take is. Is Adlam's a high-end brand? Um, is Adlam's a high-end brand? Uh, so, I, I think we uh, have our roots in in rural Suffolk and serve in a, a broad cross-section of customers in rural Suffolk. Um, our biggest customer base are probably three or four of the most affluent groups of people in the UK. So there's something about that. Um, and, and, you know, how, how do you find high-end? I think it's more of a mindset. Yes. I think it's more of a mindset. I think we, we, are, we appeal to people who like food, you know, our, our beers and our wines and our spirits. You know, they want to know the provenance of, of them. Um, so it, it's more a mindset rather than a depth of pockets yeah. thing that appeals to the, that the Adnams consumer is, you know, the Adnams yeah. customer. I mean, I think I'll tell you why I asked the question. They're, they're, I don't want to say other people aren't thinking, but they are interested in food and drink. Yeah. And think about food and drink. Yes. I mean, the, the reason why I ask is because it conjures in my mind as someone who's lived, not I'm not from the east of England, but I've lived in the east of England for 23 years. Actually, no, I'm like 25, actually. Mm. Um, and I can't think about Adnams without thinking about seeing the really nice shops mm. or, you mm. know, across, across the mm. region, without thinking about the really beautiful pubs mm. in, in here Thank and you. in other yeah. places in the area. And, you know, the, the other people I talk to who consume Adam's products. And you're right, it is more of a mindset, it is more of an aspiration mm. um, of, of a, a, an East, East Coast, East of England state of mind, for which yeah. we thank you um, for, for, for that. Well. Um, so, uh, how is Adam staying ahead of the trends in consumption? You mentioned food and drink. Uh, in, in sort of eating out and the impact that that's... You do, again, that's something mentioned in the report, the impact inflation's having on the cost of living, that people aspire to eat out, but they, they don't find it stretches. So how are you adapting to that and staying ahead of those consumer trends? We're very conscious of these consumer trends and, and we always want people to be able to afford a pint of Adnams beer. Um, so what are we doing? Uh, we're very conscious of how much of these price increases that we're... Uh, being hit with in our supply chain that we can pass on to our consumer. We're always very conscious of that. Um, we are adapting menus so that people can come in and eat, you know, just, maybe just one course uh, that, that, that works for them. Uh, we're looking at our supply chain to see if there's anything that we can do that's more cost-effective in, in that space. So we're working really hard um, you know, to enable people to still come out and enjoy a pint of Adnams beer and fish and chips in one of our pubs because that's that's part of what makes the world go round. Yes, yeah, a quintessential experience. And um, some, you know, but it but it has you know been a very sort of traumatic three years really mm. with the pandemic and then the war in Ukraine uh, affecting all the sorts of things that that other people far more qualified than I will be able to talk about. But um, but we're working re relentlessly to still make that an affordable luxury for people. And to keep the pub really at the centre of people's communities Absolutely. for as long, you know, as Absolutely. Much as I mean, we're, you know, we, we own the bricks and mortar 
Um, but we see ourselves as, as as guardians of community assets, really. Um, you know, you go into villages, as I've said earlier, often there's nothing in the village other than the pub where the community can come together. Yeah. That's an important thing to so, have in mind. Yeah, absolutely. Just step away um, for the rest of the interview from Adnams. Yeah. And obviously the, the government have now announced that LEPs are are done and oh, no they more. are uh, being wound into local authorities combined authorities yes. however um, and I just wanted to get you are were the first chair and that's the thing that's where I first met you at a, a meeting in Westminster mm. um, the first chair of the New Anglia LEP and I just wanted to get your reflections on um, your time as the chair and sort of f- f- those sort of first days, weeks, years, when you got that kind of almost blank sheet of paper and the government was probably, as all governments always are, a tiny bit vague about what it wants to achieve, <laughs> but it knows it wants you to do it. Hmm. Well, it, it, was a, it was a very interesting period of time. I think it must have been about 2010, 2011. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Cameron government had been elected in 2010, I think, and they decided to abolish regional development agencies. And I got into a debate with the the government at that time saying, you know, why are you doing this? You've got nine economic development units in the regions. Why are you doing this? They decided that they wanted to make that more smaller, less bureaucratic, uh, and they wanted it to be business-led. And um, I think in East Anglia, I was in a lineup of people and everyone took a step back and I was the one who was left standing... <laughs> Standing out there, but I've got to say it was a it was a really thoroughly enjoyable experience. Right, yeah. Very tiring trying to do that uh, um, uh, with doing this job. You know, it meant early morning starts. It was not unusual for me to be meeting people at seven o'clock in the morning and still working at eight nine o'clock at night because I was doing this during the day. Um, but it was a fantastically rewarding experience, and I got to meet, you know, hundreds of of small, medium businesses around East Anglia. I got to spend some time and see how government works, or at times doesn't work. <laughs> yes, um, we had a flush of new intake MPs uh, who hadn't then made it into ministerial role, roles and, and didn't have the battle scars of 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 uh, you know a decade in in office uh, and were very supportive the local authorities were very supportive Suffolk and Norfolk worked together like they'd never worked together before mm-hmm. it was great it was great um, and then we tried to get a devolution deal for Norfolk Suffolk and Cambridgeshire which you know I still regret we didn't get over the line because that would have created an economy the size of Greater Manchester. Yeah. I mean, we would really, truly have sat at the top table if we'd managed to pull that off. Unfortunately, we didn't. I, when I still get asked to this day, when I do interviews in Cambridge, why didn't that happen? Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I don't expect you to give me an answer. I, I, I have my suspicions. Uh, and everyone kind of likes... It's, it's sort of like a, everyone goes, they do, you know, it's because of them. Uh, but, um, you know... the. the these things happen the way they happen and political pressures happen at every level. Yeah. Um, so uh, what, what do you think about where the LEP is now as it, as it, as it sort of is sort of 
disaggregated into the two county councils. And how well do you feel, feel it achieved the objectives and the, the visions you had for it in those early days? I mean, we we set out sort of four four priorities. I don't want to sound like a politician, but we set out four priorities uh, right at the start. Chris Starkey, myself, we had uh, a, a person who helped us with the admin, uh, and you know, someone brought their dog in as well. So yeah. there, there was sort of uh, a, just a, a handful of us. Um, we set out some priorities, and and those largely got carried right through. Yeah. Really, um, so we we started something off. I think you know it, it's it's always difficult, but I, I think Chris Starkey and his team there have a body of work that they can point to, yes, and say they did a pretty good job for yes. for you know the two counties, uh, and I, and I think you know it's difficult to criticise anything there. I think they've done a done a good job. Yeah, and, uh, and, and uh, you know the the LEP will get folded into the uh, Norfolk County Council and Suffolk County Council, and they will have their own economic development approach. And you know they'll find their own way. And Chris, I think, has gone in has, yeah. at, at Norfolk County Council, and he'll be uh, a great advocate for business uh, within that institution, within yes. that organisation. Absolutely. And and how would you like to see the links between Norfolk, Suffolk and Cambridgeshire uh, grow over the coming years? Well, you you touched on the uh, A11 corridor between Cambridge and Norwich. And at one end, you've got uh, Norwich Research Park. At the other end, you've got the science parks in Cambridge. You've got the University of East Anglia. You've got Cambridge University there uh, you've got lotus cars along that uh, corridor as well uh, and some other fantastic businesses warren engineering at uh, 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 thetford there's a huge opportunity there there's no there doubt um i think you know we need to come together around the tourism and visitor economy there's no doubt about that um when someone visits east anglia they might go and do a bit of shopping in norwich they might go to the norfolk broads they might visit uh Southwold or go deep into Suffolk, into Bury St Edmunds or whatever. Um, they're not um, they're not swayed by sort of artificial political boundaries. And I think we need to think about the customer. I, as a businessman, you need to think about the customer. Um, and I think as you know, our offer to the rest of the UK and internationally, we need to think about the customer and how they yeah. view us. Yes. Um, I, I, I read an interesting report the other day that said the South East and East Anglia is, uh, are still really showing some economic growth, which is great. Um, part of that is our proximity to London. But we've got a strong identity here if we can just bring that yes. all together and package it up in a way that the, the, the customer understands. I think so. I mean, I... It, I'll say it again because I've said it many times before. This is, I know there's been a bit of a, a, a setback in the in the in the seas off off Lowestoft and Yarmouth with Vattenfall and the Boreas wind farm. However, that doesn't change the fact that the wind blows really powerfully there, and that's a really great mm. spot for it. This is the most exciting time to be in the east of England. This is the region that has it all. Other regions have bits, but we've got yeah. the science, the life science. 
the plant science, we've got the energy sector, we've got creative sector, we've got food, the, the yeah. potential... And we're the nation's breadbasket as well. Yeah, virtuous circle between science, food production, agri-tech is, is immense. Yes. So what an exciting place to be. Why would you want to be anywhere else? No, absolutely, um, absolutely. I was well. talking to a, a, a Japanese, as I interpreted uh, during Cambridge Tech Week, a Japanese data startup from uh, Kyoto, and sort of and saying, why should we come here and not London? And I was like, well, London, you're just facing the crowd in here. Mm. You, you know, mm. you, 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 you can't go around the corner without bumping mm. into someone you mm. know and have a chat mm. with. And it's so warm and friendly that you wouldn't really want to be anywhere else. Yeah. And I, and I well, absolutely doing your that. job, doing your bit for East Anglia. Absolutely, that's why we're here, and that's why that's what I mean. Look at this. You're, you know, you, you, I can talk to people, friends from all over the country, and they say, oh, I do like a pint of ghost ship. Yeah. Very nice. My yeah. personal favourite as well, I have to say. I'm not just good. saying that because you're here. No, good. Keep up the good work. Absolutely. Um, Adnams is an amazing brand, and we're very proud to have it as, as such a fundamental part of the East of England. Andy Wood, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's lovely to see you around things like the Norfolk Show, but it's even better to meet you here in Southwold at the heart of Adams. Thank you. Uh, it's great to be here, Mike. Thank you. Thank you, Andy, and the Adams team for your incredibly warm welcome. It was an eye-opening visit and a delight to be in Southwold. I bet you want fish and chips with a pint now, don't you? Eh? It's okay. I did. According to real estate firm Grosvenor, a quarter of the UK's homes are historic buildings, for which read pre-1919. And about a third of the UK's commercial property is also, well, old. Although these buildings represent tons of embodied and operational carbon, in many cases they're also crucial to community well-being and a sense of place for communities across the east of England. It's doubly important to ensure that these buildings remain sustainable for generations to come. Eastern Promise wants to share the brilliant work being done in the decarbonisation and repurposing of our historic buildings and allow our audience to put their questions to the experts. From 9am on the 12th of October 2023... Eastern Promise will be holding our first recording with a live audience at Jesus College in Cambridge, where three expert panels will discuss decarbonising historic buildings, returning disused heritage assets to use, and how to find the funding to pay for it all. The event won't engage in debate or discussion over the need or urgency of decarbonising or retrofitting heritage assets. Let's face it, if you've come to an event about decarbonisation, you're already pretty seized of the importance of doing so. No, we're going to move directly to how you do it. The event will end with a lunch at one o'clock. I'll be asking the audience if anyone has stories of success to share. Do come and join us. Search on Eventbrite for future-proofing the East of England's heritage or visit easternpromise.org.uk and click on the prominent link to book tickets. Sponsorship opportunities, exhibition stands and tickets to tour the work Jesus College has done in decarbonising its own estate are also available alongside the general admission tickets. Eastern Promise is a not-for-profit group, so unfortunately we won't be able to offer tickets for free. 
but we do promise a fascinating, informative morning and a real sense of can-do optimism. We look forward to seeing you there. Over centuries, Suffolk has blessed the nation with some of our region's greatest names. Constable Gainsborough, George Orwell, P.D. James, Ruth Rendell, Ed Sheeran. Amidst these cultural titans, one name stands apart. Cardinal Thomas Wolsey. Exactly 550 years ago, this political titan of the Tudor age was born in Ipswich and attended Ipswich School. Wolsey entered into the political intrigue of the Tudor court as Henry VIII's chief advisor. His statue sits, quite literally, in the heart of the town, and it's a fascinating fact that Wolsey gifted the riverbed of the Orwell to the citizens of Ipswich, who are never ones to let an excuse for a party go to waste. The Thomas Wolsey 550 project began with an exhibition in the hold, the Suffolk Archives building just off the waterfront, and I journeyed to Ipswich to join the festivities. Amid the marble grandeur of Ipswich Town Hall, I asked Emily Shepperson of the Suffolk Archives to tell me more about the Thomas Wolsey 550 project. Emily Shepperson. Thank you for talking to Eastern Promise today from Suffolk Archives. What a beautiful, uh, bright red T-shirt. You must be very easy to find. We've just come via the hold, mm -hmm. which is a fantastic resource, fantastic building. But we are here in Ipswich Borough, Ipswich Borough Council's, uh, what is, I suppose you call it, the Town Hall, town would hall. you? The town yeah, hall. absolutely. Ipswich Town Hall. Um, to discuss, where it's, it's uh, Thomas Wolsey's 550th yep. anniversary. Tell us more about how Suffolk Archives is involved in everything that's been going on. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we launched our brand new exhibition on Friday. So it's only just in its first weekend, which is called Wolsey's Ipswich. Uh, and it is part of the Wolsey 550 project, which as you say, is celebrating the 550th anniversary of Wolsey's birth right here in Ipswich. So we've just opened the exhibition, which explores all of Wolsey's um, connections to Ipswich, his legacy, his life, and how he's remembered in the town today as well. So how, how would you say that that legacy sits after 550 years? Because funnily enough, as we were, we were coming in uh, on the train and mm -hmm. over the bridge, we were sort of commenting that Wolsey actually gifted the riverbed, I understand. Yes, yes. To the people of Ipswich. Yes, uh, and I think, What's kind of interesting is Ipswich has such a long history as a town and one of the longest um, continually inhabited towns um, in the country as well. And so obviously we're only focusing here on one kind of particular aspect of that mm. history as well. But it's all about kind of sort of opening the doors to that history for people kind of living, working, enjoying the town to understand a little bit of that heritage and help to build that, that, that pride in this wonderful town that we have. And in terms of like how, how kind of Wolsey's legacy and how he is a, a man and his achievements are kind of viewed today so I think kind of because he had this wonderful rise to power and then ultimately a fall from power as well we've had quite a few historians over the year looking quite uh, negatively on him as quite a sort of a, a greedy man quite a kind of a vain man but maybe we've started to reimagine that a little bit more yeah. these days with different authors different depictions of actually looking at him as a really hard-working man uh, an example of kind of social mobility of rising up from quite a sort of a working background up to this really sort of illustrious position 
um, and someone who was really passionate about providing a legacy here in Ipswich as well, through particularly his college, which um, we still have the remains of Wolsey's Gate today. Yes. I mean, um, so how would you rate, um, I mean, obviously, as you say, it sounds slightly like the, the London historians have got yeah. their hands on it and go, oh, you know, we'll paint that, um, that uh, upstart <laughs> sure, yeah. you know, he, he can be He can be the bad guy. So how would, how would you rate um, that, the way Ipswich uh, interacts with the, it's probably one of its most favourite uh, famous sons. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, sometimes on the surface surface of it, people might think, oh, I, I don't know, do we have much reference to Thomas Wolsey and kind of Tudor Ipswich in the town? But once you actually get your kind of eye in or you start to know a little bit about Thomas Wolsey, you find particularly his name crops up absolutely everywhere. So we've got a wonderful statue of Thomas Wolsey that is over on uh, Silent Street in one of the oldest kind of parts of the town, uh, which a lot of people will recognise. But mm -hmm. as well as that kind of yeah, physical kind of monument. We have so many different streets and areas that are named after him. So you have Cardinal Park, where the big uh, estate is with uh, the cinema and all the restaurants. Yes, we passed that as well, yes. yes. Uh, we've got College Road, we've got College Street as well. We've got Wolsey, um, different kind of named buildings as well. So his name and his kind of legacy is, I think, kind of intrinsically fed throughout the town as well. And then as part of this project that we've got the exhibition for and everything we're doing this summer, we're starting to kind of get a bit of feedback from people of what else might you like to see how else would you like to see uh, both his oh, wow. name but also what he stood for represented in the town today as well so hopefully it's an ongoing conversation so tell us quickly a bit more about the project and and, and how that sort of came to being came into being and uh, how it sort of proceeded through things like the arrival of his hat yep. on uh, this Thursday just gone and how people can get still get involved sort of going into into the rest of the year. Yeah, absolutely. So Suffolk Archives is just one of the partners as part of the Wolsey 550 mm -hmm. project, uh, which is led by Wolsey 550 uh, CIC. But kind of our part is we've got the lovely exhibition, which as you've just um, touched on, has got one of the star items is Cardinal Wolsey's hat. It is a fabulous which, ex yes. exhibition. I urge everyone watching this to go and take a look. We, Please we, do. we did have a, a look round and saw our friends at Urban XR had done a, a fantastic yep. um, augmented reality piece in sort of showing what Wolsey's Ipswich would have looked like from lovely. his point of view. Yeah, that's really lovely. And I think it's a really great way to kind of visualize kind of better because often you can see an old map and you can see the interesting parts of it. See the map today, it can be hard mm -hmm. to piece the two together as it's a great way to be able to see that footprint, yeah. particularly of kind of Wolsey's college right over kind of modern day Ipswich. Um, and then as we go on through the summer, obviously the exhibition runs right through to the end of October. But as well as that, we're doing things like we're doing today where we're coming to different events, both in Ipswich and around the county as well to talk a bit more about Wolsey and the project. We're always open for people who want to get involved and volunteer and help out with what we're doing. Um, and then there'll be more events and activities to come um, over the next year as well. That sounds really exciting. And, and we'd love to sort of be part of uh, uh, sharing that with, uh, with uh, the people who sort of watch, increasingly watch what we're doing yeah. and also listen to what we're doing on Eastern Promise because it's, it's very much, uh, I think Wolsey's story is, is, is the story of, of Eastern Promise, mm -hmm. someone from this region you know, really rising up yeah, and, and yeah. uh, to, to, to the heights of power. Oh, oh, admittedly, falling back down again, but this was, tu this was <laughs> Tudor England, yeah. which is kind of an occupational hazard. Yes. Um, <laughs> love your little horse box. Was it a horse box, formerly a horse box? Yeah, so it was formerly kind of a sort of a sheep trailer kind of horse box that we've had converted to have this little traveling pop-up display. So it's like a little, a little taster of the Woolsey's Ipswich exhibition, uh, yeah. just to kind of whet the appetite. I think pop-up pop displays are slightly selling it short because it's, it's, it's a really <laughs> clever little space that really engaging from sort of the moment you walk you're into the history. You can see some of the book, you know, history books that are available. Tudor, Tudor England is, 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 is not without some coverage yeah. uh, in, his, in, in, in the historian um, 
in, from historians. Uh, just quickly, Suffolk Archives. So what, what kind of projects can you see evolving out of, out of uh, Thomas Wolsey 550? Yeah, so we've got kind of lots of other things planned sort of going forward. And I think that kind of the, the Woolsey project is an example of the sort of thing that we're really keen to kind of get involved with, which is all about uh, delving into our wonderful collections. The Suffolk Archives holds just over 900 years worth of Suffolk's history uh, in over 94 million pages worth of Blimey. stuff yes. that we hold, uh, not just in Ipswich, but in our two other venues across the county as well. Um, and what we're really keen to do more and more is taking part in projects like Woolsey 550 to sort of draw out some of those archives, some of the material that we've got to help uh, build kind of familiarity with how do we find out about our past? What are some of the types of documents and materials that remain? What do they tell us? How can I as an individual um, find out more about something that's kind of personal to me and my story as well? So we're always keen to get involved with these sorts of projects where we're pulling things out of our history and then bringing them out and hoping to engage with people all across the county and in Ipswich as well. What a dream project uh, for an archivist and I think the hold is such uh, fantastic resources as, mm. as, a, as a location. We walked and we saw the, the sort of the uh, the family tree style indication of what's yep. in the building. I thought that, that was really great. The cafe was fabulous. Good. We had a really lovely lunch. Excellent. <laughs> My engineer and I. And um, uh, yeah, what a great space to sort of continue that exploration. And and that's just leaving aside the the Wolsey ex ex exhibition, which is, is really you can feel the dedication and love that's gone into presenting these items. And uh, congratulations to all involved. Thank you very much. Emily Shepperson, thank you very much for speaking Pleasure. to... Uh, um, who am I from again? Yes, I'm going to edit that bit. <laughs> thank you very much for speaking to Eastern Promise on a slightly windy and overcast Sunday afternoon on the Cornhill in Ipswich, in Ipswich Town Hall. Thank you. Thank you so much. Kath Coxshaw, Project Director of Thomas Wolsey 550. Fantastic. Well, how, you know, the, the exhibition, the events you've put on, and it's still not over. You must be, uh, you must be already sort of exhausted, but you seem <laughs> full of energy. I'm quite tired today, I have to say. It's been quite a busy week, but it's been fantastic. So we've launched the exhibition at The Hold um, on Thursday, technically. We had a hat parade for um, a class of children to come and understand the story of Wolsey's hat. Uh, which was a replica that arrived on the Orwell Lady boat um, Thursday lunchtime. Uh, and, uh, and with that procession, we just kind of wanted to get over something of the pomp and ceremony um, about Wolsey himself, something, a flavour of the man, uh, and how important that hat was to him as a symbol of his power. Now, I'm very familiar with the tyranny of the blank page. So when you sort of first sort of sat down as your day one as, as a director of uh, Thomas Wolsey 550 in front of that blank page, did you already, were you sort of fizzing with ideas or is it like, oh my God, how are we going to do this sort of once in a lifetime event justice? Well, the idea came from uh, Paul Clement uh, and directors at Ipswich Central. Um, and uh, by the time I came on board, a couple of workshops had taken place with people who then became the project board. So they were representatives of um, the university and cultural organisations across the town, uh, also the two councils. And, um, and so some thought had gone into what could this potential, this massive anniversary uh, potentially hold for Ipswich? What might the programme look like? Um, and quite quickly, we, um, we established that it would be an 18-month programme, 
Uh, and essentially, it's like one big long conversation with the people of Ipswich to find out what they want from heritage and culture in their town. Um, and Wolsey is a very important uh, son of Ipswich, obviously, um, and um, there's so many stories about him and his, uh, his incredible rise to power through the Tudor courts um, that are worth telling. But also, Wolsey um, is a, uh, Wolsey's story um, is something that we are um, talking to schools about, so school children uh, across all communities. I'm losing my thread now. <laughs> I'll do, uh, I'll stop. Um, so, so Wolsey's own story uh, was one um, of him coming from humble beginnings in Ipswich as a child. Um, he, his education was sponsored by an uncle, uh, which meant that as he did well in Ipswich, he was then taken into Oxford. Uh, so he entered Oxford University at a very young age. I believe he graduated age 15. Um, and from then on, he spotted opportunity after opportunity, um, and that's what he's really known for. Um, and so he's had his detractors over time, as we well know, uh, his critics throughout history. Jealous people, I Jealous think you mean, people, yeah. exactly. But, but Wolsey um, was first and foremost an educationalist, uh, and he championed um, education not just for the rich uh, and the entitled, but for everybody. Um, and so this is something that, this is like a, you know, a kind of feeling that we put through the whole project. Um, so the education, education programme is 12 months long. Uh, we've already done some wonderful um, engagement with schools. So Cardinal Woolsey, uh, Phil Roberts, has been going out with our <laughs> education coordinator, Hannah Houghton, um, going to primary schools across Ipswich. Um, and, um, and now uh, Woolsey goes there and he tells his story. Uh, and now when he goes to events, people recognise him. You know, school children run and go, Mummy, Mummy, I've seen this man before he came to my school in the week. So it's that kind of organic heritage engagement. So the football. Which is exciting. And the football, we did Where's Woolsey. Where's Woolsey? Here he is. It's which Tower Football Club. <laughs> Brilliant. And there was Woolsey in his red robes in the crowd of blue uh, with his hands aloft. Fantastic. I just know, I've got this vision now of you, so this, this flip chart of ideas, and you write one down and you go, is that a bit... No, actually, I think that'll work. <laughs> exactly, well, that's, that's modern heritage engagement. Yeah. You know, that's that how you give people a, a good time. Exactly, a good time uh, while they're learning about their history. And it's relevant to them. You have to make it relevant to young people today. Um, so that's working really well. We're just having such fun on the project. Now, later in the autumn, uh, Eastern Promise is going to be holding in, uh, an event at uh, Jesus College at Cambridge, looking at um, how technology can be used to increase engagement with heritage yeah. and the work you did with Urban XR mm. to really bring uh, an augmented reality version of Wolsey's Ipswich to life. Mm. What can you tell us about that? Because, you know, that, we hope that's going to form quite a, a, a sizable part of the event. So we'll talk yeah. about what you've done. Yeah. So. Um when a project like this starts, um, it's kind of important to have something to show people from the beginning. So there was a thinking behind that. Um, and quite a few of us had already done a lot of talking and thinking around Cardinal College, uh, which is a very important site and would have been um, a very important site for Wolsey and for Ipswich, and for Wolsey's legacy in Ipswich. Um, so the, the site that Wolsey chose for his college was the old site um, of the Priory of St. Peter and St. Paul. Uh, it's, on, it's near St Peter's Docks, St Peter's Church still remains today, and that was the chapel of the college. 
Um, the other piece that remains that people know is Wolsey's Gate, which now yeah. looks a little forlorn on its own <laughs> because it's out of context. But actually, um, this would have been the, um, the brick water gate. Um, so the, uh, the water in those days would have come right up to, to what is now College Street. Um, and that would have been the back entrance of the college um, through which they would have unloaded um, supplies from boats, building materials, etc. Et um, and so we did some research with um, James from Urban XR and the guys at Suffolk Archives as well um, to understand what was the footprint of this college that we now um, are you know, starting to understand more about. So there are buildings uh, there that's now that would have been there in, at the time, but there are other buildings um, which have been lost over time. So we did our research find out what those were and what they might have looked like. And James managed to start to reconstruct those with linear animation yeah. through the tracing of the footprint film. Then we take that out to schools, um, and schools begin to understand the importance of the man, the size of his ambition, and you know how different Ipswich would have been exactly. if that college well, had existed. Yeah. The Ipswich they see now wasn't the Ipswich that was then. And, exactly. you know, I, I now also understand why there were so many photos of the project team shivering in Ipswich <laughs> on a, a, when was that, what time of year February. was that? That was February, yes. In the dark with, yeah. uh, you know, James Lee Burgess in a, in a yeah. huge um, puffer jacket, <laughs> looking right. very, very cold. Yeah. So I now understand what was, what was happening and what a fantastic um, piece you've actually produced. And for anyone who's not seen it, that's, you can watch that in, in the hold and yeah. um, the exhibition hall. And you can also see it, can't you? Correct me if I'm wrong. In your little fantastic little trailer, yeah. which is which is so cool, and I think that's brilliant. Um, Kath Coxshaw, what a fantastic job you've done for the <laughs> for the town and for the city, if you want to call it the city. Um, what a fantastic thing you've done for heritage in the east of England. A wonderful project, and we hope to he keep hearing more and more about it as the year goes by. Thank you very much for talking to Eastern Promise today. Fantastic, thanks, Mike. Thank you. Kath Coxshaw. Project Director of Thomas Wolsey 550 for Locus MS. And finally, an Eastern Promise exclusive. I'll leave the last word to Thomas Wolsey's erstwhile employer, His Majesty King Henry VIII. My beloved subjects, it hath been some time since I last made progress to this small town of Ipswich, and of all the losses in the world, time is the most irrecurable, for it can never be redeemed. Now since I find such kindness on your part towards me, I have no choice but to love and favour you, affirming that no prince in the world more loves and favours his subjects more than I do you, knowing that there has never been a set of subjects or commons that obey and love their sovereign lord more than you do me. To my lord cardinal, be of good cheer, for this is your day. For not only have we come to celebrate the good service you do unto us and our realm, but we are here to celebrate your birthday with the highest and most grandest of celebrations, and if any man should come to try and charge you, and the entreaties reveal no remedy, deliver them my ring, and tell them, my Lord Cardinal, that you are my servant and you do my bidding. 
for there has never been a most loyal and trustworthy subject than you, my Lord Cardinal. You are an honest man of humble nature. As St. Paul said in the 13th chapter, charity is not envious, charity is not proud or greedy. Charity is love, charity is gentle. Be in charity with one another like brother and brother. Love, dread and serve God as your supreme head and sovereign Lord and God's minister and vicar here on earth, I exhort and require it. For I would not be fulfilling my duties as your sovereign Lord if I did not, if I let such qualities of charity go amiss. Well, after that, I hope Cardinal Wolsey minds his head. Congratulations to our splendid Henry VIII there, David Smith, who portrayed the roguish Tudor noggin chopper down to a T. And also the man of the hour, Cardinal Wolsey, who occasionally goes by the pseudonym Phil Roberts. We sadly missed you on our visit. there's still plenty of time to get down to Ipswich and see the Thomas Wolsey 550 exhibition for yourself. I thoroughly recommend it. And now... Iron Maiden advised you to run to the hills. And Cheryl Crow was less specific, urging you simply to run, baby, run! Martha and her Vandellas, meanwhile, knew full well there was nowhere to run to. But where, in the east of England, do you like to put one foot in front of the other in a rapid sequence? Clearing your head and killing some calories, eh? This can mean only one thing. On your marks, get set! Crowd Sorcery Yes, crowd sorcery. Slapping on the big numero uno and showing us all a clean pair of heels is David Powells, Chief Executive Officer at Norfolk Community Law Service. Whittling and broad, Mike. As you know, it's my happy place. As long as you keep your mouth closed to avoid the flies in summer. Oh, and running anywhere with my pals from Wyndham AC, the best club in the world. Do you know, I do know, David. That's where you and I had that very enjoyable chat when David shared his reflections from his career as a journalist and editor of the Eastern Daily Press. It's well worth a listen, and I've put a link to the interview on the LinkedIn post for this very episode. Second off the line is friend of the show, Tarquin Bennett Coles, senior partner at SCI Partners, advisor for Gainai Me Limited, pro bono mentor for the Homerton Changemakers and careers in healthcare supporter for the MBA and EMBA students at the Judge Institute. Tarquin has given us a very fine route around Cambridge, which I shall now share with you. Ahem, says Tarquin. When I get into Cambridge, then the towpath run to Milton and beyond is lovely. Also, the backs and the route used for the Cambridge half, covering Grantchester, Newnham, Trumpington, is nice. 
locally. I like the path behind Teversham, or the loop from Fulbourne to Addenbrooke's. We have lots of nice, flat routes around Cambridge. Whilst I would argue that the east of England is more gently undulating than flat, I'd certainly agree with Tarquin that it's not hard to find a gentle route that avoids much in the way of gradient. Now, someone definitely not to be deterred by river deep or mountain high is Kelly Boosie, commercial manager for Oxford Innovation Space. Says Kelly, I started 2023 doing a five-kilometre park run at Rendlesham Forest on New Year's Day. Loved the forest setting, the organisation and starting the year as I meant to go on. They do them every Saturday, it's free to join. My normal route from my house in Woodbridge would take me along the river wall. Thank you, Kelly, though you mind your footing on that river wall. Ah! Oh, too late. Here, let me throw you this life belt. Ah! Oh, sorry. <clears throat> now, someone like me, who has completed the first part of the Couch to 5K, the couch, that is, is another former guest and friend of the show, Richard Powell OBE, environmental and charity advisor and independent chair. Like you, Mike, I don't run now. Used to go on a squash or rugby pitch, but now I jog to the kitchen and put the kettle on to watch a good rugby match. Walking now, there's a different kettle of fish. Still do 15,000 steps a day, minimum, with the dog, over the marshes. I could name many a good walk, but maybe that's another crowd sorcery. Maybe, Richard. Maybe. Over to Norwich now, where Dr Penny Hundleby, senior scientist at the John Innes Centre, shares her enthusiasm for a speedy turn around urban green space. Penny says, I'm also a Park Run fan, and we have many options in Norwich. I also enjoy a run around the lake at the UEA. Thank you, Penny. The UEA lake is a lovely spot indeed. For a more arboreal route, we turn to Amy Wright, event account manager for the Norfolk Chambers of Commerce, who says, I did the couch to 5k back in lockdown and I really enjoyed it. I run around Eccles and West Harling Woods. Ooh, one's near me to look for as well. Thank you, Amy. Finally, let's welcome Gary Stevens, funding and marketing manager at Nelson's Journey, freelance radio presenter, producer and project manager to our quorum of crowd sorcerers. Gary says... It's the Marriott's way for me. I have marathons coming up in Parma, New York and Lanzarote before the end of the year. Marriott's has some lovely views to take your mind off the miles and you can't get lost. And also enjoy a run around the lake at the UEA. Another vote for the UEA lake there. Lovely spot. Very much recommended. I'm also really pleased that we have recommendations from Cambridgeshire, Norfolk and Suffolk. What a pan-Anglian endeavour. And there it is, my friends. The end of our first episode back after the summer. Though summer doesn't seem to want to leave us just yet. Next week, we'll be kicking off the first of our series looking at how professional sports clubs are working hard in and for our communities. I'll be leading our Eastern Promise flock to the Nest, home of Norwich City Community Sports Foundation. As Norwich City Football Club's official charity, the foundation uses the power of sport to drive inclusion, boost mental health and well-being, and support disadvantaged people across the communities they serve, raising their aspirations. I'll be chatting with Foundation Chief Executive Ian Thornton, OBE, who'll show us around the nest in sound, from their 3G pitches to their dementia cafe and even their allotment, 
kick off next week. See you on the terraces. Do bring the halftime orange. Until then, thank you so, so much to Andy Wood, O-B-E-D-L, Phoebe Robson, Cheryl Burgess, and all the Adnams family for their very warm welcome. Similarly to Kath Cockshaw, Emily Shepperson, the unseen yet vital Alison Tipping, and His Majesty, the wonderful Henry VIII, David Smith, who spent a blisteringly hot Sunday afternoon on the Cornhill in Ipswich, sporting the most prominently phallic woven codpiece I have ever seen and have subsequently not been able to unsee. To Engineer 49, who was present both for my interview with Andy and the Eastern Promise Jolly Chaps outing to Ipswich for the Thomas Wolsey 550 celebrations. His attempts to requisition an even bigger codpiece than Henry VIII's have so far been denied. I don't have the budget. Neither does he. Thank you once again. Please do join me next time. But until then, bye for now. The Eastern Promise Podcast is a Priors Croft production for the Eastern Promise Community Interest Company and was brought to you in association with Mills and Reeve. Achieving more together. You can contact Eastern Promise and find out more about what we do by visiting our website, easternpromise.org.uk. Ow! <laughs>